Loudspeaker Studios. Everybody, have you heard the news? John Brennan is back in town. That's right. I am John Brennan from The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs and multiple trauma projects like Hashtag Shakespeare's Shitstorm. And you are listening to Talking Trauma with Zach Bynes. It's a good show. Big, big shoe. It's really huge. Welcome to the show. And welcome to episode 11 of Talkin' Troma with your host, me, Zach Bynes. The show where me and a guest chum the cinema dance floor by watching a trauma movie and then pair it with a non-trauma title for a fantasy double feature. I want to thank everybody for listening to season one. Uh, be sure to go to the Talkin' Troma YouTube channel where I made a music video special. I also did a few guest appearances on some uh, different film podcasts during the break. I was on the Make Your Own Damn podcast, which is another trauma podcast, and I talk about my top five favorite trauma movies with the hosts, Jeff and Lucas. Um, and I also got to sit down on the Yesteryear Ballyhoo Review uh, podcast with uh, past guests from the Squeeze Play episode, Zach Eastman. And we sat down with Lloyd Kaufman, president of Troma, to talk about his love of classic cinema. It's not something you really get to hear Lloyd talk about that often, so I highly recommend checking it out. It's pretty cool. Um, and now for season two, I'm going to bring even more insanity from Tromaville. But first, let me introduce my guest. He has thrilled audiences around the world with his work in Tromaville, including the Return to Newcomb High series, Hashtag Shakespeare's Shitstorm, numerous trauma shorts such as Kabuki Man's Cocktail Corner, Soothe the Mutant Families with his music on Joe Bob's Last Drive-In, Recording Sensation with a new album out now called No Offense Taken. Let me introduce to you John Brennan. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Zach. This is uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, I just want to say one thing, though. It's no offense, none taken. No I answer, offense, none taken. Yeah, I answer the question or or the statement for you. Uh, it's, <laughs> it, it actually is, you know, it's kind of funny. It's like when you say that to somebody's, you say, uh, I, you know, I, if we were in uh, the hills and we were all going to die of cannibalism, we would eat you first. No offense, none taken. So you already <laughs> give them the no, none taken. So it, I just like that. It's like preemptive strikes. Exactly. <laughs> So one thing I always like to lead the show off with is I want to know how everybody got into trauma. What was your first trauma experiences? Yeah. Oh man. I, I, it definitely was like a Cinemax or HBO or whatever was back in the day uh, in the early nineties was class of Newcomb high part two. It was one of like the first nights I ever stayed up really late. I remember <laughs> it so vividly. I was in my basement that had wood paneling and I was watching cable and 
that movie came on and I swear to you, it blew my mind. It was like, I had never seen anything like it. It was Looney Tunes with gore and yeah. breasts and monsters and jokes, but also parts of it were freaked. It freaked me out. The mouth and the belly button for the subhumanoids. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is this? But I was fascinated. Um, and then through that, I sort of like, learned because i was like reading fangoria and things like that i learned what trauma was so i rented um toxic avenger two and three toxic avenger one was out when i actually actually actively went to get trauma stuff so i got two and three and i loved it and from there on i would just like catch their stuff whenever i could i love class of newcomb hyde part two like I feel like that movie encapsulates everything. Like when you have a mental picture of trauma, like it's that movie. It's like there's weird monsters and stop motion and people melting down and melon heavy breasts. So like it's yeah. yeah, it's like and and the the set design, the costume design, the hair, that big Lisa Gay hair. It's just like iconic things happening in that movie, um, and it's a little less. If you could say, I mean, even though Class of Newcomb High isn't all serious the first one it's very much less serious than the first one <laughs> yeah. but but it's also there's something really um creepy about it the, the, the stop motion i remember being creeped out and like i said the belly buttons with the mouths and stuff just like really really ripped my uh nine-year-old brain <laughs> apart <laughs> i want to get a tattoo like the the bad guy i think his name is yoke in that movie that says like eat broccoli <laughs> over yeah. his like like instead of the thug life it was eat broccoli <laughs> oh my god that would be an amazing tattoo and people would be like what the hell but then you'd find the one person be like i remember that oh. and it's like all right we're friends <laughs> exactly. so you grew up you know kind of watching these movies when did you start working at trauma oh uh, it was very much later i um went i went to film school then i went to la kind of just like got burnt out being in LA because I didn't really I, I wanted to be a screenwriter and all I did was write but I didn't really like go to sets and stuff which is was a huge mistake I was just like very narrow-minded about it and um got a few meetings for certain things that I had written but never sold anything so I sort of came back to New York defeated so to speak um but then I got involved in like public access television here and I started to learn how to edit and direct and you know, do a little bit of everything, um, but and so one day uh, I actually early on when I joined Twitter, I saw I followed Lloyd and I saw that he was like, uh, if you want to work in Tromaville and be a volunteer, come and uh, to the Troma team or whatever. <laughs> I said, you know what, I know how to edit now. Let's give this thing a try. And this was probably like 2013, and I went and. Uh, not long after, maybe a couple of weeks later, I was editing Lloyd's uh, short Make Your Own Damn Movie Lessons for the YouTube page. And uh, that was just it. From there on, I was basically there. I, I, there was a little time in between I would go and do other projects and stuff. But then uh, early 2015 is when Lloyd um, asked me to be his assistant. And that nice. was it. Then, then I spent every waking hour there for the next, I don't know, four years. So were you in the Hell's Kitchen offices at all? Or no. All? Oh, unfortunately, not unfortunately, because I also love the Long Island City place. Uh, but it, the, the Hell's Kitchen one was probably five years before my time. 
Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I've never had a chance chance to visit either offices but i mean the the hell's kitchen one is just so iconic i mean the new one's icon is starting to gain its i you know its status but the hell's kitchen one well <laughs> you you know you should i mean you make a podcast about trauma you got to go visit it, and you can <laughs> you know what's funny is when i was working there at the office randomly people from like germany poland and stuff would show up and be like can we have a tour and i'd be like uh sure yeah you can have a tour i guess uh we're in the middle of something but why not and i would ask them like how did you find out uh, that we were even here and apparently trauma overseas on some like travel website is listed as a, a destination where you can go and get like a free tour at any time of <laughs> And I guess somehow somebody Lloyd had told somebody that and then the whatever webmaster put that up. So we would get a lot of like random people, like I said, from uh, the UK or <laughs> Ireland just showing up being like, hey, you know, this is wild. <laughs> what are some of the crazier things that you had to do being Lloyd's assistant? Everything, every single thing. <laughs> I mean, it's it, it's uh, it's a lot know, more in depth than a regular assistant like yeah no you're because well the way that lloyd pitched me the the because i applied to be lloyd's assistant maybe a year or so before or maybe even longer than that and lloyd said you don't want this job right every time that lloyd and michael interview somebody they literally tell them you do not want this job it's going to be a living hell they don't lie um (laughs) and so he sort of talked me out of it uh, and I was like, you're right. I don't want this job. And he said, you, you want to make movies. You want to produce, you want to direct, you want to write. I said, you're right. And then, so I did like what I had to do for a year. And then he asked me back as his assistant was leaving, but because he knew, he saw that I didn't leave and he saw that I wanted to work at Troma and do all the crazy stuff and make a movie. Um, so that, in in it, I was still, when he called me up to actually ask me to take the job, didn't even interview, he said, this will be a great collaboration. And that sort of stuck with me because I said, you know what? Yeah, maybe I will have to book plane tickets and get hotel rooms and all that stuff. But on the opposite end of it, I'll be able to see the inner, inner, inner workings of a, of a fully functioning independent film company that's been around since 1974. I'll get to work on these crazy shoots. I'll get to see what it's like pick Lloyd's brain Michael's brain and uh I did it and honestly I have no regrets as far as taking the job uh not only was Lloyd beneficial to my uh career Michael hers taught me so much I mean the guy taught me the business end of things so uh, taking that job was a godsend Lloyd but when you said what did I have to do for Lloyd everything I mean set his schedule uh, get conventions, uh, plan his convention schedule. Then it was just like day-to-day things like helping him write an essay that he needed to do or a review because he was writing for reviews at one point. So th- all sorts of things, like, you name it, I had to yeah. do it. And then I also had to change the toilet paper in the freaking <laughs> bathroom because nobody would do it, you know? <laughs> That's so, awesome. <laughs> yeah. But then slowly, what also was great about it was that I asked Lloyd um, if I could do certain things like Kabuki Man's Cocktail Corner came right just before I was Lloyd's assistant. And that was a success because um, a lot of people go there and say they want to do a lot of things and tell Lloyd, pitch him or whatever. And they don't do what they're going to say. They, they either disappear or it's just not right. I don't know. 
Um, but he saw that I finished something. So I think that that was what his uh, motivation was to ask me to continue there. So, but I got to work with the characters. I got to play Toxie a hundred times. I mean, and on some actually important things like uh, uh, on the comic book men for Kevin yeah. Smith's show, <laughs> I'm Toxie on that. And I feel like that's sort of canon, you know? Like, I've also had the pleasure of being Toxie, like at Troma Dance, you know, for Hell yeah. so, like some like official stuff. So it's it, like, and it's almost like being a Disney character because Lloyd's very yes. secretive. He's like, he doesn't want you to pull the Toxie mask out of like the trash bag that he has it hidden in. He's like, no. go hide in the bathroom and put this on. Don't let anybody see you. And yep, you can't and, see taken off. That you know, it. it you gotta be Toxie the whole time. You gotta commit. And everybody wants to buy Toxie a shot. Like so. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> I mean, Toxie was the most fun because you can actually talk. Because uh, the one that the, the mask that they had was like a, a silicone fo- face fitting um, thing where the mouth can move and stuff. And you could see that it wasn't like, uh, I don't know, say like Dolphin Man or something where you yeah. put that on. You can barely see out of it. Um, so that was really cool. I mean, Toxie was a lot of fun to do because I would get into it. I would have the mop and do the voice. And oh, boy, everybody, we're going <laughs> to, you know, that sort of stuff. So, oh, oh, I also got to play. This was my favorite one is getting to be the toxic avenger at the museum of modern art <laughs> when they screened tromeo and juliet and i read a poem in front of uh uh in front of the crowd and it was really really amazing i mean that's that's one of the most famous museums in the world and i got to be the toxic avenger so cool <laughs> yeah it that's definitely was always like a bucket list item for me like I get to be the Toxic Avenger as something. Like, I know it would never be a movie, but, you know. Which trauma, to, da- which trauma dance were you at? I was at a few of them, um, like, 06, 07, and I think 08 um, in Park City. So, 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 like, the actual one, like, not, I don't mean actual. Of course it was the, but you were in Park City. In the wow. OG ones. Yeah, we got That's cool. harassed by the police. Uh, my oh. buddy was playing the accordion and I had the mop and the cops would stop us all the time. Oh, and, but Toxie's a celebrity like out there, like, or he was <laughs> like people wanted their photo with him and, and you would be able to crash all like the weird Hollywood parties because. Oh, really? Avenger. That's yeah. awesome. Like I stuck into a Paris Hilton party dressed up as the toxic Avenger. <laughs> And then, and then I, then I asked if she had chlamydia, and I got kicked out. <laughs> you asked her to her face. Yeah, there was a oh. E was right there, so I thought it'd be funny. <laughs> I asked yeah. if we, I asked if we were gonna get chlamydia being at her party, and she uh, and oh. she kicked the, the trauma team. Out. Wow, that's that's hot. That's what I'll say. That is yeah. hot. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. So you you had some real trauma experience it's amazing yeah uh the ma- the mask that we used was from the citizen toxie uh pools so so i think i threw up in the same mask that like joe lynch threw up in. oh yeah <laughs> uh, that see that was another thing that i used to gross me out and the good thing about the mask that we had was that you could turn it inside out and basically disinfect it with uh alcohol or whatever you know just get disinfectant wipes all over it so it wasn't somebody else's like disgusting essence but yeah i know the mask you're talking about and i probably would have never put that thing on my head yeah i mean it was (laughs) gnarly when i wore it so oh man 
But it's the Toxic Avenger. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the end, if Lloyd Kaufman is asking you to play the Toxic Avenger, you got to do it. And it's like right like two seconds before any big press thing. He's like, Zach, you're going to be the Toxic Avenger. Like, oh, fuck, I, I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> so um, when you were at the Troma offices, though, I definitely had noticed um, – and I feel like it's your stamp of and people at the offices at the time on the shorts and uh, little short films that Troma was putting out around there. Talk, why don't you talk a little bit about producing some of that original content at Tromaville? Yeah. So we sort of, uh, when I got there, um, someone else named Dylan Mars Greenberg had started and uh, Dylan is an amazing artist started yes. making movies at, I don't know, 16, 15, 14, just has always been making movies. And by the time they got to Troma, um, 18 years old, had already made four feature films or something like that, something crazy. So there was a great collaboration also between Dylan and I, because there was a lot of times where Lloyd would be like, we have, um, you know, 12 Blu-rays coming out and we need intros for all of them. And so we're like, oh my God, we got to, but it started to become fun because we started to make these like really fun shorts that were part of the trauma universe with Lloyd as the star. And we would write them and direct them and have a lot of fun. I mean, Dylan did a lot of those and um, you know, up against the green screen. And that became just like a fun thing that we would do. Um, and then we would use all the characters. And also, like I said, I was doing Kabuki man's cocktail corner with Doug Sackman and that, continued on as I was working there and then um one day I was sitting there with uh, it was the day after the Super Bowl and this guy who worked there Gibson Merrick he was one of the uh, salespeople, and uh it was the year that Katy Perry had had something with like to do with sharks or something on, okay. on the thing <laughs> and uh I think Gibson or or the art director um at the time uh had photoshopped Dolphin Man in at the Katy Perry <laughs> Super Bowl thing. And we all started laughing because it did really good on the uh, Troma Facebook page. And um, Gibson said it was a bucket list to play Dolphin Man. And I was like, well, when was the last time Dolphin Man was on screen? And like, I don't know, Citizen Toxie probably. I was like, let's make a Dolphin Man short. Let's do that. <laughs> so we did. We made this Dolphin Man short to promote Troma Dance 2015, I think, where – um, somebody steals the trauma dance selections and Dolphin Man has to go uh, investigate where they are because Do because the Toxic Avenger is in Hawaii and Kabuki Man is drunk in a gutter. So Dolphin Man could save the day. So then because of that, we made a couple of more Dolphin Man shorts, one for Thanksgiving called Dolphin Man versus Turkey Man. Um, and that's on YouTube still, uh, Troma's YouTube page. And then we made one more called Dolphin Man Battles the Sex Lobsters, which went on to 33 international film festivals as an official selection and played on six continents. <laughs> and, and so Dolphin Man travels. The Dolphin, people love Dolphin Man. I mean, I, I, it's a dream to make Dolphin Man the motion picture. And I I'm appreciate that you, uh, that you even had the balls to take Dolphin Man out of Citizen Toxie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's so because they call him the most useless, but I don't know. I think the, the mad cowboy is kind of useless. I mean, what does he do? He's got the udders a little bit, but um, no, Dolphin Man was a lot of fun to play with. And then uh, the only thing that we haven't done for Dolphin Man is uh, Antarctica. So if there's any Antarctican scientists 
if Antarctic in it is, is a word, uh, and you just want to watch Dolphin Man on Zoom with me and we could call it Troma Dance Antarctica, let's do yeah. it. <laughs> let's set it up. Let's find somebody in Antarctica to set that up. Our, yeah, our, we'll make, we'll we'll make maybe, history. Maybe we could get it to play on SpaceX. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> imagine next. Elon Musk smoking a blunt watching Dolphin Man battles the sex lobsters. I can picture that. It doesn't seem too far out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, so that was a lot of fun. You're right about that. I remember the shorts were really like a great creative burst uh, between me and the trauma team, um, all the people who worked there at the time. And and I, I mentioned Dylan, but there was a lot of other people who helped out and a lot of the volunteers and stuff. And it was just like a really fun time at the office. And it seems like there's a lot of bleed over from the people who um, were at the office at that time who worked on those shorts and the Return to Newcomb High series. So um, what what was your role or roles? Because it's Tromaville, so you're doing more than one thing. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. What, what did you do on Return to Newcomb High? So I, on return, so I didn't work on the initial portion of Return to Newcomb High, Volume 1 and volume two that was shot up in Buffalo, uh, Niagara area in like 2012. And I came to trauma in 2013. Um, but so what happened was, I guess they split the movie into two. They put out volume one right about when I was starting. And, um, then they, when they went to start to finish up volume two, they needed a lot of, uh, material to fill in the blanks. They had a few holes in the story and stuff. So, uh, I became the co-producer essentially of return to return to Newcomb high, AKA volume two, which is the t- actual title. It's an amazing title <laughs> <laughs> on the day that he came in and said that that was the official title. We were like, how are we going to tweet about this movie? Because the t- one tweet is basically the whole title. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But we figured it out. Um, so what I did on the movie was basically filled in the blanks for like 40% of the movie where we made some new characters and stuff like that. But literally I had zero dollars. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. I had zero dollars to work with. So I had to get creative. We had to um, pretend like the trauma basement was uh, the basement of Tromaville high, or we had to get, because trauma at the time, they probably still do. They probably have more, but they had about a hundred thousand or more subscribers on their YouTube page. Um, or maybe 500,000, something crazy like that. But we were allowed to shoot for free at the YouTube space in New York City. So we did a few scenes there uh, and that ended up in the movie. And so little things like that, just like uh, getting creative around the town. Uh, then we got like a classic car one day and put Lloyd in it in the back seat with his like assistant character from the movie and just like little small things like that. Uh, and so, yeah, that, that's what I did. It was like fill in the blanks. I will say that, that I was lucky enough to show up in return to return to volume two for like a blink and you miss it moment at San Diego comic-con. Oh, that's (laughs) awesome. I love that whole montage where it's like people from around the world, literally just trauma fans shot themselves melting down with the old uh, Broma seltzer and food coloring trick. And uh, it's, it's like a really interesting part because uh, it just goes to show you how fans can, elevate in this day and age of technology how you can put out a call and you can get people from france from san diego from australia anywhere it's amazing (laughs) so there's one uh, there's one guy is melting down on the great wall of china in it it's like it's insane 
and he's never heard of again once they found out what <laughs> Yeah. What movie that was? Well, this was this was just slightly before China really went over the freaking, <laughs> went really crazy. And did you have any music involvement in uh, Return to Two? Yes, I, actually, this is um, this is an interesting and good segue to lead to the Joe Bob stuff because this is sort of how it happened. Uh, what, what one of the main people who I worked with while I was there was uh, Matt Mangiarides, who was head of Trauma Team Video when I started as a volunteer. And uh, so one of the scenes that was being shot was um, to, to add to New- Return to Newcomb High Volume 2 was a Buffalo Bill like mocking scene where Lloyd yes. Dick, <laughs> he does the whole dance. Uh, but of course, Troma cannot afford Goodbye Horses by Q Lazarus. <laughs> so uh matt mangerides knew that i had uh, you know i was like a home recorder i would do like just stuff and put it out on Bandcamp, and i was kind of prolific i would just like put anything out but some of it sounded okay so uh matt was like can you try to do a, a knockoff of q lazarus's goodbye horses and um he's like talk to lloyd about it real quick and i was like lloyd i'm gonna try this song and he said as long as it's called the silence of the ducks <laughs> So I'm like, oh, that's fucking, I can work with that for sure. The Silence of the Ducks. So I go home and I write this song, The Silence of the Ducks, put it in. It gets approved. Uh, now fast forward to we're shooting this thing and we're shooting it in Lloyd's house. And Lloyd didn't tell his wife what we were doing. His his wife, the wonderful Pat Kaufman, yeah. who uh, helped produce with Justin Martell and I, uh hashtag shakespeare shitstorm but this was before i knew her so she came home in the middle of lloyd's like first take of talking right so she's like she's like lloyd you know she's like we're gonna get sued we're you know you can't do this blah 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 she's like screaming at him about it and she's like but she said we're gonna get sued because we can't use that song and Lloyd's like stops. He goes, "Oh well, John Brennan wrote this song. This is John Brennan, and this is not the original. This is a knockoff." <laughs> and she's like, "Really?" She's like, "Wow, that sounds just like it." And I was like, "That's the greatest compliment." So she's like, "Okay, let's keep going." And then she started to help, like direct. She's like, "No, he doesn't dance like that. He does it more like sultry." And <laughs> so that was like that was like trial by fire to be like admitted into the trauma team for real. Um, but so leading from that, just like quickly, that's sort of the thread that led me to Joe Bob because later on when Matt Mangerides and Justin Martell, who were trauma guys, they were doing and developing the uh, last drive-in with Joe Bob Briggs. And they asked me, because of that, try a demo for the show's theme. And I did. And that it's, it's I, I have trauma to thank for it <laughs> because I got the theme song. It's that's crazy. something that's pretty nuts. I don't think a lot of because like the Joe Bob, I feel like the new Joe Bob uh, reincarnation has an even more ravenous fan base, and I don't think they realize how much of that crew like started out in Tromaville. Like I know Zach and Nico also worked on it, and it's it's yeah. like pretty nuts. It, it was just like it almost seemed like everyone uh, packed up their bags from Tromaville to go work in uh texas with, uh, well well the first uh one the first joe bob marathon the 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 13 movie one or something like that, 11 yeah. movies whatever it was um that one was shot in new jersey and it was a lot of trauma people and the reason why it was because shutter at the time somebody at the top they were developed they were they had given a budget or or promised a budget of like you know a real budget for a show 
And then they slashed it down to $30,000 uh, and was like, okay, here's some development money and we'll, we'll see. Uh, so, so what, what Justin Martell and Matt Mangerides and the director Austin Jennings did was say, you know what, let's just take that money and make a show. Like forget about developing it. We come from a trauma background. We know how to make a lot with a little let's do this. And they did. And to their credit, that's why we have the last driving now is because they took what they were given and they stretched that budget all the way. They asked for favors for a, from a bunch of people from Troma and elsewhere where they had worked. I think there were some people from like Teen Mom and stuff like that who worked on it. And that's what it was. It was the Troma mentality of let's do this by hook or by crook that made the last drive possible. And it's all, all a credit to them because it's obviously that people wanted it. Yeah. You know? But it's... It, it was one of those things that, like, I I just felt so proud of the trauma team. Like, like you know, it's like they fucking you know went out and did it. Like, like there is life after Tromaville, and not everyone kind of thinks it's like, well, that's where you go to the you know summer job type of thing. But seeing all you guys like going out and then doing something that's like beloved, you know, in the horror horror world like around, which is amazing. Yeah, I mean the th- the thing is, it's uh, with that with the show, we're all fans of it anyway. We're fans of obviously uh, Troma. We're fans of the Last Drive-In, so we do it out of the love. It's like, yes, yes, we want to have great careers and make money in this industry and have a life, all that stuff. But we would also do it even if it wasn't the money. We, you know how much free work we've all done? Yeah. It's insane <laughs> the amount of free work we've all done and not just for trauma in the last drive-in. So it's just out of the love. I mean, I think that that shines through with a lot of this stuff. So did you expect when you were starting the, you know, when you did the theme song for the last drive-in that you would become a reoccurring character slash, you know, part, you know, just part of the, the legacy of Joe Bob. I had no clue. I mean, I literally, I was, I was hired as like a production coordinator to like, you know, cause it, like you said, uh, wear many hats, three jobs, whatever. So I was like, uh, you know, getting the catering. I was transportation. I was helping build the set. I did a little bit of everything on that first marathon and afterwards as well. Um, but that's, that's really what I was hired for. But, and then the, the theme song was like a bonus. Um, but because uh, there was a circumstance where one of the the guests, Lyle Blackburn, couldn't bring his guitar and couldn't perform one of the songs. It was a song from the movie The Legend of Boggy Creek. And Joe Bob really wanted to do that song as a sing-along. So uh, Austin Jennings said, the director was like, just bring your guitar to me. And I did. I brought it to set. And we practiced that song beforehand. I practiced. That was the first time I met Joe Bob was when I practiced that song. <laughs> Nobody sees the flowers but me. And um, we did it. And that was it. And I, it just it really went over well. And uh, people applauded afterwards. It was just like re- a really funny bit. So I, I think he, he saw that, that I could do a little bit of something. And he listened to my music, I guess. And uh, just started to write in little bits. And here we are. I don't know. We're, I think, 25 or so songs in. And uh, we're not stopping. We have a few more planned coming up. So it's, I'm, I'm really surprised. I'm That's... as surprised as anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it was, you know, also super cool to see him play a few trauma movies 
on the on the last drive-in. Like, yeah, it must have sort of felt a little full circle when uh, Lloyd came in with Troma's War. It it was so cool. I mean, seeing him come down because at that point we had gone down to Dallas maybe two or three times. And uh, just seeing him down there and with Patty Pie and, uh, you know, doing Troma's War, which is, which is one of those movies where it's not the obvious choice, but it's a great choice because Troma's War is so, like, it's so underrated and so funny and so weird. And um, it's, it's unlike one of those, anything. Like, those who know, know, like, yeah. Troma's War. <laughs> so it's, like, it's unlike anything they ever did. And so uh, that was a really cool thing to have. And then, of course, we played Bloodsucking Freaks and then Mother's Day. And so there's been some cool trauma, um, you know, And you even got to do a song with, like, Jericho for Bloodsucking oh, Freaks. Oh, man. Yeah, <laughs> and that, that was, like, a marriage of two crazy worlds. Uh, you know, like, Chris Jericho, it's, it's just so odd. I never, ever in my life thought, that I would be collaborating with somebody like that famous. <laughs> <laughs> you never thought you'd be collaborating with a pro wrestler on something. <laughs> yeah, on, on like a song about an obscure film. And and he, I mean, the dude, he uh, opened for Iron Maiden with yeah. his band Fozzy. So I'm like, anybody who opens for Iron Maiden is a friend of mine. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, that was a, another great collaboration. That guy, he killed it. I mean, we I wrote that song like the day before we left for uh, Dallas because we had written another song and it just wasn't working. And uh, so it was like sort of last minute and he got the set. He's like, Hey, I listened to your song. It's, it's cool. I'm going to go learn it. And uh, I was like, Oh man, he's going to go learn it now. He walked away 15 minutes later. He, he had like his headphones in or whatever, came back, knew it, knew every word, nice. did it. <laughs> and then he got into the vocal booth after we shot the video, two takes killed it. So consummate for professional. Yeah, <laughs> and and then it's like, oh, I'm writing trauma songs with. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, and then I was like, I'm I'm actually writing about blood sucking freaks, which is one of the oddest trauma entries, if that if that could be believed. Uh, yeah. Odd, <laughs> beyond odd. But I actually like blood sucking freaks. Some people were like trashing it or whatever because it's too out there. I think it's hilarious. I, I think it's, it's like. I did that. I did Blood Sucking Freaks uh, in the last season of, of my show. And uh, that new Blu ray that Troma put out with the deleted scene in there was oh. just totally changed that movie for me. I mean, I still liked it before, but it just the way it played is, is bananas. <laughs> yeah, it's bananas. And um, it's just one of those things where it's sad. Uh, the state of the world we're in today, if you make a movie like that, you would be like, uh, I don't know put in jail or something i don't even know if you <laughs> if you could even get the script out the door <laughs> <laughs> you're not even allowed to think that movie right now yeah <laughs> so uh from joe bob it seems like um the call came back from tromaville for hashtag shakespeare shitstorm troma's newest one uh what did you do on that movie yeah so that was sort of like simultaneous um with the original marathon and um Hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm. I produced that. So um, that movie, Hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm, based on William Shakespeare's The Tempest, 
started out with just Lloyd and me in a room. I mean, the day I got the phone call, he's like, we're making The Tempest. That's going to be my next movie. I was like, yes, because <laughs> I love Tromeo and Juliet. And to do Troma and uh, Shakespeare, a, a follow-up to that, or like a spiritual sequel. And he's been, I mean, at least in the public realm, he's been talking about that movie since the all I need to know about filmmaking I learned from the Toxic Avengers. Absolutely. He said that he wanted to make it many years ago, but he hadn't gotten old enough to do it. He wanted to be the age of the character of Prospero when it when he made it and uh I was all about it I mean that was like this is what I came to trauma for this is the culmination of all my time here um so I I he had me as his assistant and producer at the same time this was about 20 probably the end of no probably the yeah probably like 2017 the end of 2017 so we developed it then the Joe Bob thing happened in April and then uh we shot it that summer after the Joe Bob first Joe Bob shoot. Uh, yeah. So we shot it in the summer of 2018 uh, in and around New York city, mostly, which is the first movie since uh, I would say Terra firmer that was shot in New York city proper for trauma. And also we did um, Justin Martell who produces the last drive in as yeah. well. He went to Albania for, for uh, a week to shoot um, scenes for hashtag Shakespeare Shitstorm where it, like I don't know how he did it but he got like the Albanian Coast Guard to give us these this big boat that's and, like, uh, one of the I can't he's gonna come on the show and that's like one of like the I feel like one of the crazier things in that's ever been committed on film in Tromaville it's totally like because before that um, part of the problem with the script was it was brilliant idea is like let's have these whales jumping over this boat and cause a shit storm that sinks this boat and it's like oh shit how are we gonna do this i mean what is this uh peter jackson's weta workshop like where are we gonna get this shit but justin martell had been um through a company that he works with pioneer media he was like touring around eastern europe and speaking to film consulates um and film commissions there and sort of just getting the lay of the land and seeing what could be done there because a lot of a dollar will stretch there much more than it will in the States. Um, so when it came to Shakespeare shitstorm, I talked to him and he's like, I think I could get this done. I think I could get this scene done. And for uh, the budget for a trauma budget, let me see what I could do. <laughs> and he settled on Albania and it worked. That's he insane. got that done. And, and not only that, he got the boat, and like extras and the, the beautiful looking uh, Aria Alexa, whatever we shot on there. And then uh, the shit cannons and all this stuff. And then the CGI whales. That's so crazy. Especially because like trauma has not really been out of the country since toxic Avenger part two. So like, yeah. it's just yeah. crazy that they were able to pull that off. Yeah. It's, it was a huge thing because that was like, once that was set, uh, the whole rest of the thing fell in place. I mean, it was just like, it was absolutely, a, a, I don't know. I, I really loved this movie and it hasn't really been seen yet too much um, because of the pandemic kind of hurt us. Uh, but now that, that the world's starting to open up again, we're talking about how to do it. And if there's anybody listening who's uh, uh, has a theater or anything, we'd like to do something in the theaters before just putting it out on home video because we could do a Blu-ray and that'll be pretty good. But um. The I'd theater like experience is, is the way to, if anybody out there has never seen a trauma movie in the theater, it's like day and night. Like these yeah. are movies to be seen with a group of people. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, I I've have a couple of things on the horizon that I'm trying to uh, settle in. One very important um, theater. And uh, if they're listening, please, let's get this going because it would be yes. a huge night. It would be like a gala. <laughs> Forget the Met Gala. This would be the Troma Gala. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need. Well, and then, like, it was cool because I saw – um that it played i and i can never pronounce the drive-in theater but in pennsylvania mahoning Mahoning. and you guys like had uh a like a huge diorama or like display where people could get their photos taken with like a whale with a shit fountain going like yeah that um i think part of that was doug sackman but also part of that mahoning has this uh guy there jt who does a lot of these like photo ops there anytime you go say it's like nightmare on elm street i went there for freddy fest last year and he had the facade of the nightmare house made uh they had an evil dead screening there with bruce campbell he had the facade of the cabin this guy makes all that stuff so he i believe is the one who helped orchestrate that shitstorm uh photo event and then you got to play a live show there for joe bob <laughs> like- oh yeah that happened uh, the, the, uh, a few months later. Um, but yeah, the live show at Joe Bob was like a, a life highlight. I, I couldn't believe what it was like to play for like a thousand plus people who actually so wanted bad. to listen. <laughs> you know, sometimes you're at a gig and uh, people don't know your band and they're sitting at the bar looking away, you know, they don't know anything. But this one was like, people knew the songs, people were singing along, people were moshing and dancing. It was like uh, amazing. That's awesome. And- yeah. Well, and speaking of music, you have a new album out. Uh, Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so Ship to Shore Phono Co., uh, they put out a lot of the Joe, actually all the Joe Bob stuff. And And the Troma's War soundtrack, too. Oh, yeah, they do a lot. They do video games. They do horror soundtracks. They did uh, Class of Newcomb High, Troma's War. They do a lot of cool, um, like, sort of niche things. But I think a lot of the vinyl has survived because of niche markets. You know, yeah. everybody wants the horror soundtracks or the video game soundtracks. So part of that was the last drive-in. But um, the last drive-in was doing really, really good for them. So they said, "Let's try a John Brennan solo record," <laughs> and uh, it worked. It's it's been selling, and it's called "No Offense None Taken." And um, I mean, it's just it was really fun for me because originally before the pandemic is when we decided to do this. And it was supposed to be my first studio record. Um, but, of course, the pandemic hit. And uh, instead of delaying it, though, because I've been home recording for like 20 plus years. So I said, you know what? Do you mind if I try it? Uh, try to get some songs that sound good enough to put out on vinyl. And, uh, you know, if the Joe Bob stuff sounds all right, maybe this will. And they agreed. They said, Let, let's see what you can do. So I made over the pandemic this No Offense Done Taken. And it was sort of cobbled together from tracks that i had written a while ago up until like that week i wrote a couple of tracks um uh, and i even put like as a secret track on the record one of the very very first recordings i ever made on a cassette tape with my friend paul uh so that's like the secret track so it's from every bit of my uh home recording career so that what would have been my first studio record became sort of a culmination of my home recording years and i kind of like that so I and I love the first single that you put out, which we're gonna close the show out with when we get to that point. But "Shark on the Dance Floor" and the music video <laughs> is just so much fun. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to do, and uh, I just that song "Shark on the Dance Floor." That's one of them. I wrote that in like two thousand five. 
<laughs> or something like that. And I just sat on it because I just never had a project that I needed it for, but I always knew it was, there was something to it. And, uh, thankfully this is the way, and it was the first single <laughs> and it, it knew, it knew that it would, it's time would come. So I, here's something I wanted to talk to you about. There there was an interesting time in trauma history not too long ago. If uh, we rewind back over the last four years, there was uh, QAnon and Pizzagate. And correct me with uh, with uh, my interpretation if I get anything wrong. But from my perspective, um, James Gunn went on to you know was on Twitter and he's very outspoken against uh, Trump and the QAnon Pizzagate guys. Uh, we're basically fuck James Gunn. Let's go through his old Twitter feed and cancel him. So they they didn't really care what he was saying. They just hated that he hated Trump. And so they found tweets from uh, his around his trauma tenure on there, which, you know, they were offensive. And as you can imagine, they were very traumarific filled with satanic and incest everything that the QAnon guys said Hollywood was doing that's what <laughs> James Gunn was tweeting about but um in with that the and getting James Gunn canceled they they started to go after the trauma team um where they were doxing people who worked at trauma they were they would show pictures of uh you know some of my friends who uh, worked with Lloyd and like their grandkids and be like, see, they're molesting and, and, you know, uh, sacrificing these children to Satan. And then you got involved on there. <laughs> and basically from what I saw your, when you got involved, you basically shut down the entire Pizzagate dude, something that no one else could do. Um, and I saw you shut it down. So how accurate, was my interpretation of everything going on there. It's, it's a very good primer because uh, I, like uh, no joke, there's enough in this story that I could put out a book about it. And I, I will one day when I'm later on in my seventies or something, I'll, I'm going to write the fire herpes story. It's, Hashtag fire herpes. It was seriously <laughs> the weirdest thing like I've ever. And I, I told my wife, I was like, you know, I'm, in some of these tweet chains from like 2007. So there's a good chance that I might yep. get doxxed. Yeah, so, so <laughs> absolutely. They would have come after you in a heartbeat. So th there's a small piece in between um, when you said uh, they went from James Gunn to the, to the employees, they went from James Gunn to Lloyd because Lloyd was answering some of those in a playful way. Some of the tweets that uh, James Gunn had made. And now, look, I'm not going to defend the tweets or whatever in, 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 a, in a joke way, but I will defend the right for him to make jokes anytime. So, and it was obvious that this dude was making jokes. He was just trying to be a provocateur yeah. or whatever, an evocateur, whatever you want to call it, and just be edgy on Twitter. Whether or not he succeeded, who cares? That's besides the point in this, yeah. this situation. So one of the tweets that he had made said something about Nambla, James Gunn yeah. and the, and, and why people started coming after Lloyd is it was a very Lloyd answer. Lloyd <laughs> said something like, don't tell anyone that I mentored you at Nambla, but he capitalized men. So it was like a pun and it's a typical yeah. Lloyd Kaufman. Lloyd makes puns. Like it's going out of style. He just makes yeah. puns constantly. 
So because of that tweet, and because of certain other small ones that Lloyd had made over the years, you know, Lloyd makes jokes too. Yeah. Uh, that's why they went after him. On top of that, Lloyd's, one of Lloyd's daughters had um, interned at the Podesta Group. Now, to get really deep into the whole QAnon thing and this or whatever, or whatever, a slight just detour, Podestas are, are the people who basically uh, a lot of the QAnon people or Pizzagate people believe are some of the masterminds behind child slave trafficking and, and you know, all kinds of horrible things. So the fact that Lloyd's daughter interned at the Podesta Group and Lloyd has a picture at an event that his <laughs> daughter and Podesta were at and they're like, hey, you know, that's their ammunition. So instead of saying like, oh, you know, uh, Leslie Nielsen starred in The Naked Gun with O.J. Simpson, he's guilty as well. You know, that's what they were basically doing. Yeah. So anyway, so to fast forward, um, it, it's weird because this whole thing culminates with both the last drive-in and trauma and this whole fire herpes Pizzagate thing. So we had just finished Shakespeare shitstorm. Then we went to do our first stint in Dallas in uh, for the last drive-in. And afterwards me and Justin Martell and Matt Mandries were like, let's make a road trip to celebrate up to freaking Memphis and go see Graceland and then go over to Nashville and see Ween and uh, in concert. And we're like, yeah, it's going to be a great time. So on our way, to Memphis, I'm like reading about this Tromagate thing and I'm watching one of the videos and I see that they snapshotted my Instagram, <laughs> my personal Instagram. And so I had put up a picture of a cat at a DJ table with a pizza on the turntable and he was scratching the pizza instead of a record. <laughs> and they said that that was satanic imagery and that that, with the pizza and all that, that's why I was part of the fucking problem. And I flipped out. I mean, I was ranting. I was screaming in the car. It, I, there was no camera on me. I was seriously, like, flipping out. I'm like, these motherfuckers, I'm going to go and find them. I'm going to kill them. You know? uh, I was, like, I was furious because nobody, you know, who knows what kind of fucking internet psychos are out there yeah. who see that. And they're like, oh, John Brennan's a psychopath. Uh, child molester let me go kill him because that's basically what this fucking piece of shit and you can see i'm getting really riled up that's no, basically it's... what <laughs> so, to, so to make a long story short justin martell filmed me ranting really quick and put it out on twitter and it got some traction that was probably one of the best videos i've ever seen I, I, I was i was getting worried too you know just like you it's like oh man like it's just a matter of time yeah it's, they're gonna come for all of us and like so i mean look the fact of the matter is i don't know who this guy is i don't trust him and what who, who is he to come and say anything about me in my life just because i put a picture of a cat with pizza on Instagram? No, it's he's going down. So I told him that he's, he went looking for the devil. Well, he found him, and I'm the devil, and now the devil's looking for you. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first part of it. So then we get to the to the ho to the place in Memphis, and we're like hanging out, having drinks, and some guy uh, tags me on Twitter, and he's like, "I'm going live if you would like to talk about this uh, Tromagate Pizzagate stuff." And I was like, ah, I'm not going to do it. And Justin Martell was like, you have to do it. Like, <laughs> there's no way that you can't do this. And you have to make it crazy. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. So I went and I went crazy. I, I told them that I was practicing black satanic magic 
And then I was going to do a thing called fire herpes, fire spells. And then I was going to give them herpes for a thousand years in hell. And the reason why I said this, because I was like, what psychologically will fuck these guys up? And it's truly, if they actually did find a demon and that that demon was pissed because you found me. So I'm going to take you out. So I used their like stupid psychology against them. And that went nuts. Like people started <laughs> using hashtag fire herpes. Yeah. It started going on their like their uh, videos and been like, you're a liar. And it started to spread in that like Pizzagate community that like ha- hashtag fire herpes was like when you're a liar or a piece of shit or a NPC, they call it a non uh, player. So it, I forgot what all the terminology, but uh, I'm out of the loop now. But that fire herpes really spread. The guy <laughs> went away for like a day or two days. They both came out after two or three days with apology videos. Please don't give me fire herpes, please. Like he literally said, and I saved the video for posterity. Um, and in his video, he literally like says, I, I, I take everything back. Um, uh, nobody at Troma is culpable. Like, I, I, you know, just because people work at a company doesn't mean that they're guilty. You know, he did this whole like lawyer's letter. The only thing at the end is that he tagged and he's like, I'm still unsure about Lloyd Kaufman. You know, like he left it like that dangling. But the best part was while he was telling this thing, there's like splotches all over his face. And he must have been like really nervous or something and had like a bad week because I gave him the shot. And people started to say that I actually gave this guy fire herpes. And that started to spread. <laughs> that started to spread throughout that community that I really was a black magic magician or whatever the hell. Like stay away. And since then I haven't had any problems. So if you're gonna come at me, you're gonna get hashtag fire herpes. That's all I gotta say. <laughs> When the the hundred year um, you know tome of the trauma stuff comes out, like this is one of those stories. <laughs> it's like, well, here's when Lloyd got into a fight on the Morton Downey Jr. show. Here's oh, yeah. when trauma was you know wrapped up with PizzaGate. And- well, the thing was, I didn't, I, I didn't um, involve Lloyd. I never tagged him in anything, and I basically did it independently of the company because at the time I wasn't officially a uh, an employee anymore I had just produced the movie and that was it um so I did it so that it wasn't like the company I wasn't representing I was representing yeah. me but I was also saying while I was representing me that all the things that you're saying about this company are wrong I mean they were saying that there were kids chained in the trauma basement I've been in the trauma basement there's barely even like you know there's, there's not enough room that, there's not <laughs> enough room it's like it's it's you're barking up the wrong tree me you know who knows like there's real evil in the world and if you want to be one of these people who goes out and investigate do it for real don't do it like oh i see on the internet that there's the, the, the. no you can't you can't do it you're not you can't be sherlock holmes over the goddamn fucking internet especially when you're going after trauma uh, this is a f- 50 it's 50 years of uh movie making making stupid monsters and stuff uh, like well, i said i can do hours of pizza uh, pizza gate uh, but I, we'll, we'll move on yeah <laughs> heck yeah well um i guess without further ado let's talk about the 1987 shot on video classic by pericles lunis redneck zombies yeah <laughs> <laughs>
In the heartland of America live a very special kind of people. Friendly, decent, hard-working people. But what happens when these simple down-to-earth folk accidentally drink a barrel of nuclear waste? Well, whatever it is, it better taste good because you splattered it all over the corn squeezes, you otter ass. I'm sorry, Daddy. Swilling toxic moonshine, they become flesh-eating, bloodthirsty kinfolk from hell. They become redneck zombies. Redneck zombies. Tobacco-chewing, gut-chomping creatures of the night. Redneck zombies. Monstrous, radioactive freaks waiting to eat you for lunch. Alone and lost in the backwoods of Maryland, seven city slickers will encounter a nightmare world of the hillbilly undead. Not since blood-sucking freaks has there been such controversial scenes of violence, dismemberment, and cannibalism. Whoa, Ty, check it out. It's a native! Oh, hello! There's thrills, chills, and adventure. Plus, plenty of lip-smacking nourishment. We dare you to keep your eyes open during the last heroin half hour. It makes Dawn of the Dead look like Mary Poppins. Redneck Zombies is another provocative anti-nuclear parable from the trauma team. Filmed in gorgeous entrail vision, it's for rock and roll horror freaks of all ages. <laughs> oh, shit! <laughs> Did you treat this lead? <laughs> Sally! For spilled guts, laughs, and suspense, it's Redneck Zombies. A splatter film classic so gruesome that half the trauma team staff check themselves into Bellevue. Redneck Zombies! A down-home good time you'll never forget. Warning, repeated viewings of redneck zombies has been shown to cause insane laughter in laboratory animals. Here's what Lloyd Kaufman says about redneck zombies in his book, All I Need to Know About Filmmaking I Learned from the Toxic Avenger. Director Lunas did the special effects for such trauma classics as Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD, and Toxic Avenger 2 and 3, so you can be sure the man has been dwarfed by Kaufman and hers. In the film, some dumbass hicks mistake barrels of toxic waste for homebrew moonshine and become even dumber-ass cannibalistic zombies. Contains more blood and gore than almost any other tr dish on the trauma smorgasbord of love. I actually have an audio clip of Pericles Lunas talking about the origins of Redneck Zombies. You know, we, we've been talking about making a movie and, and just getting it on, making a movie on video and trying to get it distributed on video. We thought that maybe we could put something together that was going to be gory and funny, and we knew we weren't going to have much money, so we wanted to make something really slapstick, something really silly. We were sitting around batting some ideas, and we figured what we should do is find the best possible, come up with the best possible title. And when we hit on Redneck Zombies, all of us just looked at each other and we knew that was it. And uh, Ed Bishop immediately started writing a script based on Redneck Zombies. Oh, what a feast. 
this movie, I, I would call it a feast. Because like, it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, uh, it was a sh- it, back in the day, I wasn't really um, a fan of like shot on video stuff. And I would always turn it off if it was like, looked like crap or sounded like yeah. crap in the first two minutes. But as I got older, I started to appreciate because it's really hard to make movies and it's really difficult to be on set and to do it and to get it done. And so when I watch Redneck Zombies, I feel the pain and the passion and all the things that it means to make a movie. And it's, it's so inspiring to me. On a rewatch on this um, for the for this show, it like ticked all of my nostalgia boxes for just like, I miss like these old shot on video movies that it was like movie roulette when you would go into the video store and you're like, ah, here's a crappy shot on video monster movie, but you don't really get that anymore. And so, and this, and I mean, this one's just a lot better done than a lot of them that did come out then. Yeah. And it's, it's, I don't know if it's the first or whatever, who knows, but uh, it's one of the first that was shot on broadcast, right? According to Lloyd, so take this as you will, but it is the very first uh, shot on video movie to be distributed on video. And so I was kind of looking into that and... It's to be to be debated because i know that like sledgehammer and boarding house and like video uh, violence and cannibal yeah, camp out there's other movies that may have taken that title but it is one of the first yeah and uh and the quality is it's like you said it's nostalgic because that that video quality is it's not as like camcordery as it should be it's like tv broadcast quality and i believe they did shoot it with um like video like beta video instead of a regular vhs right so it looks it doesn't look horrible horrible it looks it looks okay but they do some psychedelic effects in it that i really like like that old school vhs like weird like video blur and shit it's so fucking good and it i i really think it's really funny when do you remember the first time you ever watched redneck zombies yeah, when I first got to Troma, I was like, I'm going to watch as many of these things as I can because this is one that I didn't, I probably, who knows, maybe I encountered it when I was younger and I just didn't watch it. So when I got to Troma, I tried to catch up on the classics that I hadn't seen. And um, this was certainly one of them. And I was blown away. I was like, why, where has this been for my life? Like, why haven't I watched this? Um, especially since I was a Troma fan. Um so yeah, I, I sat down and I was like basically studying uh, because, you know, you got to know some of the catalog if you want to work in Tromaville. Yeah. And it, like I said, I just watched it f- front to back. Didn't like, I wasn't texting or typing during it. I was, I was like laughing along, having a couple of beers. And it just was one of those, uh, one of those really just entertaining experience. I, I think that's a lot of the jokes land. I think that the cabin scene, when it gets really creepy and fucked up at the end, yeah, that's that's an amazing scene. That that's that's really horrific, and the effects are very good in that scene. It's um, it, quite questionable elsewhere, but well, it was one of those movies. I was being a trauma fan. I was aware of like because of the scene in uh, Toxic Avenger three with the the Jewish video store clerks. He's like, <laughs> "How dare you put redneck zombies next to the Walt Disney's?" And, <laughs> and so, and then just seeing like all the extras in the movie with the redneck zombies bandana, which I was able to track down one. So I have like one of those rednecks oh, cool. from like the, the distribution, but I never saw it until 
I was working at a video store and we happened to have it. And one of the main reasons I applied to work, it was a Hollywood video, but I applied to work there because they had some trauma movies. So it was like the whole six years I worked there, it never left my employee pick shelf. And it, it was like always, always there. And then when I was there, when they were getting rid of all the VHS tapes. So I was able to, to snag, uh, you know, I see it. I see it right store. here in your corner. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. My old you gotta, video you gotta, store. You gotta put that out online. That's so great. <laughs> so I, and it's, it's just fun. And it, being an independent filmmaker, like you can feel for this movie. I feel more than like watching something that's shot on film because you can relate to the struggles and you can kind of tell what they went yeah. through making this movie. Totally. And yeah, it's like, uh, it's just uh, the way that they also describe it on the, there's a very good trauma, uh, trauma masterpiece release of this. Yes. Uh, trauma masterpiece DVD. And there's a lot of extras. There's a lot of interviews. There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And basically they shot it over the course of a full year. And in certain scenes, it's like cuts from winter to like summer, you know, and it's like different things, but it, it just works because uh, it's, it's fantasy and whatever you're going to do, it's, it is what it is. But uh, it, it's just like, they did it. They did it by hook or by crook. And then they got it to trauma. They got it distributed. And then uh, Pericles went on to work on the toxic Avenger and did special effects and stuff. So yeah, he was a major player after Troma got this movie, like in Tromaville. Yeah, well, let's let's dig into uh, going through the the plot and everything of this movie. So um, the movie starts out with an opening title crawl. Basically, it's like like if one of these toxic waste barrels goes missing, then the entire human race will uh, be destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course, the guy who's driving it. There's no like bungee cords to it. There's no nothing. It's just like in the back of a van, like bouncing yeah. around. <laughs> and and he's smoking weed in this Jeep with like a dog wearing sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. It, it, oh, it's so good. Uh, isn't there a scene before that? What happens? Yeah, so, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This the uh, psychiatric hospital. Yeah. So for whatever reason, the movie starts out in a psychiatric hospital and, and, uh, do you see see uh, somebody reading a Fangoria magazine and they're putting <laughs> cigarettes out on their on their arm and and then we get uh get you know the the redneck zombies title song once we meet our heroine Lisa <laughs> yeah and uh, so what what did you think of the music in uh, in this movie because there's a soundtrack that Toxic Toast put out on vinyl and then the Tro Masterpiece has a CD. Yeah. Uh, the first time I saw it, I was a little taken out for the first song. I didn't expect that to have like the, the redneck zombie, like actually <laughs> referencing the redneck zombies and all that stuff in it. I was like, what? And, but then I started to get the tone of it as it went. Like that set the tone. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, but now I love it. I mean, I, I, it's like, if you're, if you, if that, if that first redneck zombie song doesn't hit, you might not enjoy this movie, but if it yeah. hits, you're going to fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, and then the score in it's pretty cool too. It's like all a weird synthy and it, it's like probably a, like a nice 1980s Casio. <laughs> well, there's an interview with the guy. Uh, what's his name here? I have it written to Adrian Bond. Um, it's on 
the Tromasterpiece DVD version. Yeah. There's a quick interview with him, and he said he's like, I just had equipment, and so I was. That's why I was asked to do it. And um, now people sort of like in the forums and stuff look back and say it was like a masterpiece uh, early score. And he's like, I'm not going to say that you're wrong, and I'm not going to say that you're right. I'm, I'm <laughs> misquoting him probably, but it, essentially, it's like. Yes, it was like one of those early scores. This guy did this like really cool, interesting stuff with this stuff that wasn't readily available to everybody. So I think it's a really cool score. Yeah, and if and that's one of the neat things about that Tro Masterpiece DVD is yeah. that you can, you know, pop that into your car and listen to the, you know, the Redneck Zombies like Radioactive Waltz whenever <laughs> you want. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and so. Um, you know, we uh, we see the Jeep going going around, and he's bouncing along with that barrel in the back, and we get introduced to a group of campers, and they don't really say anybody's name until, like, the movie's almost over. <laughs> yeah. All of a so, sudden, it's like, Lisa. It's like, who are you talking about, Lisa? Like, who's Lisa? <laughs> it's like, it, it's like I, I guess it doesn't matter. It's like, well, there's the gay one, there's the black one, there's the the female black one and and uh and then yeah. the guy with the army hat <laughs> yeah yeah they got like the stereotypes going but they're not like typical stereotypes they're like it's just all odd weird people <laughs> yeah and and for whatever reason they're camping in the middle of a field yeah <laughs> so they're they're off camping and are trying to find their campsite and the soldier ends up losing his barrel and uh so he's going to look for it, and he comes across one of my favorite characters in the movie, uh, Ferd Mertz. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who's a big, fat, redneck guy. And he's like, he. I wish he was in more movies. <laughs> because he was he's great. Pretty, he's pretty funny. And he's listening to the commentary. He improvised most of his scenes. I don't know how strict Pericles Lunas was to the script. <laughs> but uh they they definitely let him just like ham it up and he finds a barrel and he can't read he's like do not open until christmas but it just says radioactive waste on there i kind of feel bad that the the other the the other guys um the actual family they take the barrel from him yeah he, he was like kind of really excited you know he's like kind of a sweet character a little bit yeah, they're like they're like even though he he pulled the gun on the army guy. Yeah. He's like, get off my soil. Yeah, get off my soil. I mean yeah. he's right, you're trespassing, so go away. Yeah, he so he scares off the army guy. And then the the family of uh I I guess our main redneck crew uh holds up Ferd because Ferd shot up their old uh moonshine still. Yeah. And so so he offers them and uh and this crew um we have actor we benson who's like the paw and pericles lunas who plays um billy bob but has just transitioned into ellie may and it kind of made me uh and then there's i forget the other guys because they don't really say anybody's name but there's another another couple A third yeah yeah and uh it kind of got me thinking that uh redneck zombies is more inclusive <laughs> then most movies i was surprised like you could tell that the you know the trancing was played for kind of yucks back in 1987 but they're all very accepting 
of that's, that. Yeah, that's the thing is that they all accept it. So they're like, oh, he, she's Ellie Mae. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's a lot more accepting than a group of rednecks. <laughs> and then you have your diverse cast, which doesn't really get brought up at all, which I thought was pretty interesting. Right. For, it is pretty diverse for uh, for that that time especially a shot on video horror movie like yeah. it's not just a bunch of like like dudes who look like they dropped out of film school <laughs> no yeah it's it's the cast is great in this i mean everybody does a good job even the guy who doesn't talk yeah <laughs> does a great job. yeah there's there's a random camper who's just like drinking in the background and he doesn't have any lines and maybe only one or two close-ups through the entire movie <laughs> just constantly drinking a new bottle of something uh, where he yeah. finds it you don't know but he got it <laughs> So uh, our family of rednecks, they get this barrel and uh, they decide they're going to use it for their new still. But Ellie Mae spills the nuclear waste into the, the corn squeezins. And, uh, but they and decide if, it's fine. <laughs> if you watch the, the Blu-ray, I'm sorry, the DVD, True Masterpiece, if you can find one, there's a, a bit of information that he actually uh, concussed his head on the first take, and it's in the movie. So you'll see when he falls with the barrel, it like spills, and then it cuts back, and you can see him bang his head on the barrel for real. And I guess and he got concussed. <laughs> yeah, that's what they said, a real concussion. So, But he kept filming, so how bad could it have been? But uh, I guess he went to fix it afterwards. Yeah, he still finished the movie. He finished the movie. <laughs> um, so they get kind of this still up and going, but the best character in the movie then pulls up, the Tobacco Man. Oh, man, the ice cream Tobacco Man. He's like he's the ice cream man for tobacco. He, it's, what a great idea. He looks like a cross between uh, one of the members of the band Ghoul and Friday the 13th Part 2, Jason. <laughs> But they have like a weird like distortion on his voice, so it's like echoey yeah. and <laughs> demonic sounding. But it's the same actor as Pa, the W. E. Benson. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know, uh funnily enough, that guy went on to do a lot of stuff with NASA. Yeah. And, and film stuff and won Emmys and stuff. So yeah. for Redneck Zombies, he went on to a huge career. And he's like a Shakespearean trained actor, but yeah. he's like still best known for Redneck Zombies. But it's crazy to think about that Redneck Zombies has helped the space industry. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. And he's, I, I love this character. I kind of wish there was like, I wish there was more than just like this scene in the movie. Or I know, like, he deserved to come back for one more scene at least like he has and we'll get to it a, like a little snippet at the end of the movie but yeah. like there's there's not any other scenes in this movie where you're like really wanting to see these characters like interact more and he's just so weird he's like a doomsayer like in like you see in every slasher movie but he's He's talking about the harms of tobacco. Tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> like, You'll be doing dip until the day, and he like tells how the lips will fall. What does he say? He's, He's like, like your jaw will fall yeah. off, and, <laughs> and then you'll die a slow death. <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> and he's just such a cool character. And um, all these guys, they run back and uh, they see that all the moonshine is now distilled and it's green because toxic waste is green and i will say this so i have worked in a laboratory and i will tell you toxic waste is just clear 
So, oh, yeah. So that is uh, disappointing. I was more disappointed when I saw that in real life that it doesn't have a bright green hue. Whoa, that's crazy. Uh, that's amazing. So wait, it's it's like liquid. It's just like a clear liquid. Yeah, it just looks like water. So they make Ellie Mae go deliver this uh, hooch to everybody, and then it cuts back to those campers and. Uh, like I said, I don't remember the names because they don't really say them, but the I think his name was uh, Bob, uh, and he has taken the world's largest piss into a pond. Because <laughs> one of the big selling points of this campground was, there's even a pond to piss in. <laughs> and they say that three or four times, and sure enough, he is peeing in that pond. Oh, so, hell yeah. <laughs> that is... Uh, that is a big selling point for there. And then um, as he's, as he's being in the pond, it cuts back to Ellie Mae delivering with, and she picks up a hitchhiker in a scene lifted directly from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. I thought that was great. I don't think I ever really thought about it until this viewing that it is, and, and it couldn't be any more clear, but it's a parody of the hitchhiker from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But instead of, uh, working in a slaughterhouse it's a barber <laughs> and he's showing pictures of all the haircuts that he's giving yeah. oh my god it's so fucking funny and like, at the end he like he like uh does the same thing the same run or whatever and he, but instead of uh spreading blood on the side of the car he picks up a, a glass of a jar of moonshine yeah and, oh. and he even like cuts him with the razor, but he's like, what do you think of uh, these new electric razors instead of, <laughs> he's like, oh, you don't get a good shave that way. <laughs> it cuts back to the campers and they're all smoking weed and the rednecks, they start drinking the, the radioactive, the radioactive drink. But before we see what happens with that, we get some of the goofiest porn music ever <laughs> it's like a slide whistle and like circus oh, music yeah what were they, they i mean like it's amazing and and they're, they're, they're also smoking weed too and are they doing lsd yeah they 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 are also doing doing some acid but the weed was like the big the big thing yeah <laughs> for for all of them so <laughs> and yeah and they they have some pretty cool video effects happening. yeah i like how it cross cuts between like the campers getting all psychedelic but then the moonshine is making the, the other psychedelic and it keeps cross cutting back between the two scenes it's really cool and you see yeah so you see the hillbillies you know turning into zombies and there's some pretty sweet bladder effects and um but then you also see every all the campers just getting loaded and fucked up at the yeah. same time so it's just showing like you know basically both of them transitioning at the same time but it's a wacky scene but meanwhile ellie may is just delivering more moonshine to some dudes who are watching just like some boobs just get oh yeah smashed. that's right he's like i like boobs <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's just like some boobs with uh some like whipped cream and cherries on them and just an uncomfortably long close-up of nipples getting pinched right in the camera <laughs> and some like sweaty gross boobs <laughs> so, and and circus music and, and then intercut with zombie effects it's pretty it's pretty amazing i actually yeah. i have a audio clip i'm gonna play of of the director talking about how they got the look for the zombies. 
And pretty much what we did is we went to, uh, we went to the bulk food section of a grocery store and we, we put out honey and, and, uh, and cornflakes and, and flour and syrup and we said, okay, what you got to do is like you, you go and you, first you go over here and you get your eyes black because we have some like, I don't know, some charcoal or something. Let me throw it around, around people. And then, then you go and you take some honey and you smear it on your face, then throw some um, cornflakes in your face and hey, you're a zombie. Whoa, that's wild. They look pretty good. <laughs> I, the ones at the end look great. And I was like, I was actually saying, how, I mean, how much money did they spend on makeup? Because they have a lot of people at the end all, all made up. Yeah, no, it sounds like they just had like an assembly line. Like we did on Poultry Guys, like we had like a whole army workshop of like, all right, you come in, you're going to hit the latex station, you're going to hit the makeup station, the feather station. The, wow. In Redneck Zombies, it was just like, all right, we're going to squirt your face honey. with honey yeah. and crunched up cornflakes and then hit you with the powder puff. Oh. You're out of here. <laughs> that, you know, that grosses me out because one of my, um, the, the, the thing that gets me like the skeeves me out the most is like sticky on the neck. So <laughs> yeah. the, the idea of like honey on my neck and face is just like really disturbing. <laughs> I, I just, you just see all these outside scenes and I'm just picturing just like bees all over the oh place. yeah like the just bugs. like on your face <laughs> so oh. i can't imagine that was uh was fun <laughs> no. but uh well back to the movie so ellie is is going around selling some more moonshine and she comes across a a mom who's buying some and she uh has a baby in a in a laundry machine <laughs> <laughs> and that Which was actually so funny. Uh, it's so weird too because it's just like a random <laughs> cutaway but that baby was i guess actually pericles luna's yeah uh, his real kid, kid. Uh, there's this there's an interview a quick interview with him too it was like uh all grown up yeah and he's, and he's like, like you, you didn't give like, me a trailer <laughs> yeah 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 um so but now uh sally one of the campers she's going to take a shit in the woods and uh and uh she finds the moonshine in a still and she uh stumbles across a zombie who scalps her which is oh. the, the first you know zombie carnage we see in the movie hell yeah and he just is ripping out guts and apparently the guts they were using was just like uh like scrapple or tripe or whatever just like oh. some chitlins but they bought them the night before so they're all frozen and they tried to thaw them out on like the muffler of the car. So I imagine they like smelled extra great. And yeah, like he's just like ripping apart, like, like actual frozen entrails covered in fake blood, like eats her guts and he slurps out her eyeball. Yeah. I love that. (laughs) I love the eyeball. Yeah. That that's one of the more iconic like zombie shots of this. And there's like a good old, like, like when he looks over his shoulder too that's a really cool yeah oh so gross <laughs> so one of the other campers sees that and and she runs off um and she bumps into ferd who who is uh he's you know not being very helpful and he sees the zombie and wants nothing to do with it so he's like pushes her right back at him <laughs> <laughs> And uh, he and that zombie, he he eats her, and Ferd Ferd runs off and finds the shine, and and he uh, sees the body and has a moral dilemma of uh, committing necrophilia. <laughs> yeah, it's very. He's like, very she, she won't put up as much of a fight as I'm used to. <laughs> <laughs>
Ellie Mae goes to sell some more shine and finds Ma. And uh, Ma's holding a baby pig. And uh, that Oh, pig, I love that baby pig. She's like, you're not, you're not going to get in my pan. You're not going to be my bacon. <laughs> <laughs> and that pig, like, I kept watching and it, like, falls asleep a lot when they're filming but i like i was like did they kill that pig is that pig dead because it looks dead in some of those shots but like there's a couple where it's like it's like trying to get out of her arms yeah so so i'm just like wondering it's like it just kept trying to squeal away and she like just you know choked it out yeah maybe afterwards and it (laughs) but it is a cute little piggy oh so cute (laughs) Um, but yeah, all the campers they go looking for the girls who went off, and they find the find the legs of of Teresa who uh, who for just interacted with, and Ellie's still selling more moonshine, but she's back at another Texas Chainsaw Massacre house where they're torturing women. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. And then uh, the you know the campers are still they're freaked out. Because you know their friend is dead, and they're like, "Where is her head?" But her whole body's missing. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they find the still and and uh, the other stuff. In the first time I ever heard this joke was on this view. They called the moonshine monster mash, and oh, I thought that was pretty funny. I was that like, "That is funny." I never never heard that before you know how many ever times i watched the movie i was like oh that's pretty clever <laughs> monster mesh now there's more soldiers looking for this barrel they got back up and <laughs> they got their friend from the beginning yeah <laughs> they're taking him back to where he dropped the barrel and they're they're all looking around and and the the flamboyant camper at this time he gets attacked by zombies but he uh he has a can of spray on deodorant <laughs> and he has found their weakness. It is red, you know, rednecks are not good with personal hygiene, apparently. So, right. <laughs> Which is funny. They set it up earlier with the, with the whole hairspray thing, because uh, that character is like, says to, I think the dad of the group is like, you don't smell too good. Like take this, uh, take this deodorant. I have plenty of cans or something like that. Just yeah. like an off like a like a quick throwaway line and that's why later on when you're like how'd they get so many cans it's set up they set it up (laughs) and yeah when you spray apparently when you spray a redneck zombie with a hairspray they melt down to like green goop (laughs) oh i thought it was i thought it was deodorant or yeah so i mean like the deodorant yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. they melt down to green (laughs) green slime (laughs) <laughs> and then they they all decide to go hide in the mine which there's not an actual shot of the mine it's just like there's a mine over there and then they cut to like a basement like with dark. a light <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um they're they're hiding in there at this point the the black guy in their crew bob he is absolutely tripping balls and going crazy like he thinks he's in the wizard of oz probably <laughs> one of the funnier scenes in the movie for whatever reason because they they're like, well, you're pre med. Do an autopsy on this zombie. Yeah, and like, it's like I only dissected cats. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, it's like, like, what are you gonna find in the mine with a zombie autopsy? Like, I'll watch, it, but it makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, what what are you get? What are you expecting to find? Uh, an answer to. But it turns out it doesn't matter because the dude is tripping so many balls. So he thinks he's like pulling out <laughs> shoes and garbage and like a little stuffed animal that he like puts in his pocket. <laughs> yeah. 
But everybody sees that he's just pulling out internal organs and all sorts of gross stuff. <laughs> and then he throws up inside of the zombie. Oh, yeah. So good. <laughs> and then they're like, well, let's test out the different types of deodorant to see which <laughs> when they're like, well, this one has aluminum, aluminum carbonate in there. And they're like, what does that mean? They're like, I don't know. Let's just use this. One. <laughs> so they, I guess they had a little bit of uh, thought, thought behind there. Um, but at this point, we also find out that Ma drank the, the moonshine and she is now, now a zombie and Ellie's freaking out. And she starts, she drinks the moonshine. So the soul, cut back to the soldiers they're looking for this barrel they get a flat tire so they all they all get out and the flamboyant uh the gay the gay soldier he sees the rednecks in the field and they're like don't run to him don't call him over here he's like well have you guys ever seen deliverance and he runs runs out in the field (laughs) so good it's yeah (laughs) and they all get torn apart and there's and this is pretty impressive for like a no budget zombie movie that looks like is made in a field. There's like a legit number of zombies, like 30 or 40. Yeah. There's a lot of zombies and a lot of different deaths. It's very cool. And it's all like, they're all like creative kills that they have coming up out here. Like, yeah. um, like one of the zombie smashes, like the third zombie smashes one of these guys' heads and his eyeballs like pop out. Yeah, it's so good. It's, it falls at his feet, right? It's actually the guy who was driving the uh, the, the van in the very beginning, the Jeep. Yeah, he smashes his head. And, and yeah, it's so good. I also, there's um a great, it's almost as good as the Dawn of the Dead one where they basically take the guy's like legs away from his upper torso and yeah. they're just pulling guts out. Oh, it's so good. And it looks like they use like, I mean, they, they said they use like uh, um, chitlins before, but it definitely, you could tell they use like real animal parts for, yeah. for oh. these guts. Cause it, that wasn't no latex. <laughs> yeah. It looks gross. Yeah. And, and I guess like for like the, the eyes, they kept saying that they use gummy worms. So I was trying to watch the movie to see where they use these gummy worms for the special effects. And I'm pretty sure they used them as like the retinas for the, eyeballs at oh so like they had like i guess these like gummy eyes like with gummy worms hooked to them that the third (laughs) zombie eats which that like i remember seeing that clip like on all the old trauma dvds when you do the trauma intelligence tests and if you got a question wrong they would show you a gore scene and that was always one of them which i thought was like a pretty cool (laughs) pretty cool uh scene and so basically you know, the horde comes through and starts killing all the campers and uh, Lisa runs off to go hide in Ma's house. And I actually have a clip of Perry talking about filming in Ma's house because it takes a turn from being funny to very serious. Absolutely. I I think I came up with sort of the, the mechanics of the cabin scene because um, I knew how I wanted that to be paced. I wanted, when, when, when Lisa runs into that cabin toward the end, I wanted to, to get away from all of that which was funny and, and, and sort of start making it really creepy. Um, we do go for a couple laughs in the cabin scene. I think it works, but I think that the, the horror does overpower 
um, you know what what's going on there, and, and people, uh, uh, fans that I've met at at, uh, at at conventions and emails that I've gotten have told me that you know they they really love the cabin scene. They really sometimes they had some people said they had to stop and uh, uh, have a cigarette. They just had to have, take a little break, and that was, that's got a flattering actually. Which is also funny in in this scene. It should be noted that the actress who played Ma, and they talk about it on the commentary, originally um, was threatened by her church to be excommunicated because she was in a satanic movie. So, oh. so the Ma zombie is just like a dude who was on the set that they put in a wig and a dress. Yeah, I saw that in one of the behind-the-scenes uh, interviews because this time before I watched it for this, I watched those first. And um, th- you could see his armpit hair. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, I mean, not that, you know, hey, if Ma had the armpit hair, that's all well and good, but it's obvious that it's in it's that circumstance, it's a, it's a guy. And, well, and then they're like, like hamming it up very three stooges. There's a lot of three stooges references in this movie, anyways, but just very slapstick. Uh, Ma gets knocked out by an ironing board. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like kind of the last joke is like she gets knocked out and then it turns deadly serious. I mean, it's just like the disgusting guy on the table. And uh, Yeah, and yeah. he's like just like turning to like just like putrefied goop on the table yeah, and yeah. and and the Lisa grabs like a hammer and like bashes him in the head Yeah, and grabs a spoon and sticks it in like his temple and it's just like gross slime that comes out and he looks disgusting oh yeah and then probably one of my favorite headshots in a movie Mm -hmm. like is in redneck zombies i'd put this headshot up against the one in maniac i love it because he like they like she like smiles as she cocks the the gun and the the redneck kind of smiles back at her and all of a sudden she shoots and it explodes it's such a good cut and it's crazy. They edited this whole movie linear. So what that means, like if you haven't made movies nowadays, you can you can cut back and forth on a computer if you don't like something and you can go razor thin to the moment when you're editing linear. It's really hard to be precise. You basically have two tapes that you're recording to and they got this headshot seamless where it cuts from like like the act the zombie actor too is like head exploding and you can't yeah. see the cut yeah no it's it's an amazing cut it really is it's yeah it's and it's a it's just a gruesome end of his like creepy smile he gives her right before his head gets blown off it just makes it super eerie yeah and yeah she so after she blows his head off she runs out and gets attacked by the third zombie and she kills him by stabbing him in the eye with a corn cob. <laughs> and then and then we see that uh, it was really just something that happened in the psych ward all along. She's chained back up in the psych ward. And the random drunk guy who was hiding in all the shots is reading the Fangoria magazine. And he shrugs at the camera in the movie. So but so, but uh, there's a thing at the end where they like illuminate her stomach so i was listening to the commentary and they're like well we did this shot so you could uh, tell she was pregnant and i was like oh i I guess but are they implying that she was raped by a zombie 
So there is a shot in the movie where she's like zipping her pants up. And I, I think it's implied that maybe like Ferd or somebody ra- like was going around raping people. Oh. But they don't really ever talk about it or show it. And I did have yeah. no idea. And then they have like a weird baby cry as the yeah, because I, I I didn't notice that the very first time. This time I noticed it. And I'm like, they're setting it up that she was raped by a, a redneck zombie, and that she's carrying a redneck zombie's baby, and that that's like I guess the setup for the sequel. If they do because when it lights up, it's like green, like the moonshine, the baby. In yeah, stomach. <laughs> they yeah. if they do the sequel, it should just be like Son of Redneck Zombies. <laughs> oh, that'd be great! That'd be great. Kin, yeah, you know, uh, Redneck Zombie, the next, the next kin, <laughs> the next kin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have a clip of Lloyd talking about meeting Pericles Loons and um, Lunas and, and Perry talking about you know his time in trauma. Well, Pericles Loons, who is the genius behind Redneck Zombies, he was living down in Baltimore when the Toxic Avenger was showing in his neighborhood movie theater. He loved it, and uh, he also was a big trauma fan. So the trauma influence is, is being carried on by Pericles Loons and Redneck Zombies. What's interesting about Redneck Zombies is one day, Michael Herz and I were in our office minding our own business. When out in the reception area appeared two young men with knapsacks on their backs. They just came out of the Port Authority at New York and they told us that they had always wanted to have their movie, Redneck Zombies, distributed by Troma. Lloyd Kaufman of Troma fell in love with this. And, uh, you know, he, he had Ed and I come up to New York, and uh, we sat down with him and we made a deal. And, and it was really a match made in heaven, Redneck Zombies and Troma. Uh, Lloyd and Michael Hertz took really good care of us. And if there was anything that was innovative, it was how Trema was able to take Redneck Zombies, uh, a movie rejected by every other independent distributor, and to promote it to the point where it has become a cult film and, you know, one of the most uh, recognizable posters, you know, in uh, in independent filmmaking. You know what's interesting about Pericles is he eventually worked for Troma and was a major part of the Troma team for many years. He was on Troma's War, he was the special effects coordinator for Toxic Avenger Parts 2 and Toxic Avenger Part 3. You know Lloyd took me on, he took me on to work in at Troma. I worked on Troma's War, I worked on uh, Toxic Avenger 2, Toxic Avenger 3, I worked on uh, uh, Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD, and uh, I did a little work on Death by Temptation. Lloyd gave me the opportunity to, to be a, a special effects coordinator, um, to learn how, how like, independent movies are made. And uh, I was also a second unit director, so he helped me to grow as a director. So, you know, really, if there's any innovation to talk about, if there's any innovation to talk about in independent filmmaking at all, you know, where, where Roger Corman left off, uh, Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz with Troma has continued. It's kind of funny. One of the, the mythology of redneck zombies um, is how inspiring it is to be an independent filmmaker. And Lloyd always put the story out where um, 
where Pericles Lunas and the producer Ed Bishop took a Greyhound bus to Tromaville and with a copy of Redneck Zombies in their backpack and gave it to him. And <laughs> Troma took it on the spot. And then you come to find out on the new new DVD that that's not exactly true, but it's one of those revisionist histories. I'm going to choose to think that Troma did pick up this movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's um to bring it sort of like into what this, there's a thing in this book uh, by Jeff Sass, where he says, uh, if you don't ask, you don't get. So yeah. basically Pericles and his, uh, and his cohorts, if they didn't ask Troma, they wouldn't have gotten that distribution deal. So I think in that, in this case, that's what the, that's what happened is that they, they went to the right place. They asked and they got what they needed. And it's one of those movies that, you know, Lloyd and, My- and Michael didn't have anything to do with, but it is one of those, when you think of Troma, redneck zombies is, you know, a cornerstone of that building. Absolutely. And that's why um, I sort of picked this one is because, you know, I've worked on Lloyd stuff and uh, there's just so many um, unheralded great things in the Troma library that are distributed by Troma that should be seen. Troma is important in, in multiple ways. Um, they, they've been around for close to 50 years without the aid of uh, Hollywood. Lloyd and Michael have done it their own way. They've managed to stay independent. And that, whether or not you like the movies or what, you, you, you should respect the fact that they've survived in, in the climate where uh, pre- people were probably trying to crush them yeah. <laughs> at certain points. I mean, I've seen it. Like, uh, I used to think that Lloyd was just uh, uh, paranoid or something when he, people are out to destroy him or trauma. But sometimes it's true. Sometimes people are... are needlessly uh mean to trauma just because it's schlock or when people think it's schlock but there's so much in that library and there's so much that lloyd has done and so many people that lloyd and michael have helped and you know and i'm sorry and also michael used to direct the movies with lloyd yeah so i mean you even if you don't think the trauma movies are great you have to respect what they've created yeah. they've created a, a independent disney essentially it's one of those things like a lot of people when they think of trauma they just think of lloyd's movies and they don't actually think about the thousands of filmmakers that they helped you know get their start whether it's distributing their movie or just giving them a chance to like you know work clean up blood on you know there's nowhere else uh maybe not maybe there are other places but there's not a lot of places where you could go and uh on your first day somebody might just hand you a boom pole and be like, you're the boom operator now. It's like, what? And then suddenly you're the sound mixer because you're the last man standing with the equipment. And just a lot, I've seen it happen on a trauma set where people drop out and other people pick up the roles because they're just the closest in proximity. And in a day, they learn it and they start to do it. And um, they might go on to careers. It might be the spark that they need. I do. I, I, I was going to bring this up earlier. Um, I do want to mention this. You did have like a podcast for a hot minute called the escalator pitch. No, um, it's not dead. We're uh, so we just got really busy. Josh Stifter, who uh, did the podcast with me, really, really, really talented guy. He was on a reality show called rebel rebel without a crew, which was Robert Rodriguez's show. Um, and he just got really busy. I got really busy, but we have 10 episodes that are in the it, it, they're they're there and we're going to basically do two more and then release one a month for a year instead of like 
because you know we're not getting paid for whatever whatever but we like doing it so we're just going to do it in our own time because those episodes take a lot of effort like we're writing stuff we're researching we're watching so instead of doing it every week we're going to do it once a month that's kind so of how it's I, not dead. <laughs> that's kind of how I do this show. I just do it, you know, because I love trauma. Like yeah. they're not paying me. Um, it's not officially sanctioned by them. But I, these stories need to get out there. But what I do want to say though is, you have one of the most original and unique interviews I've ever heard with Lloyd. Because often, the most often interview I usually hear with him is sales pitch Lloyd when he's talking about whatever the most current movie is, or if he just doesn't like the interviewer, he'll hijack it and have his own agenda with whatever he wants to talk about. But you talk about unmade trauma movies with Lloyd and it's really fascinating. That was really fascinating because when I was there, I got to see some of the unmade scripts I, I leafed through the original script for Congressman, which was something that Lloyd had written, um, which is like another superhero who like gets involved with Congress or whatever, like really cool stuff. And, and then throughout the years, he would say, oh, yeah, I wrote a script with Stan Lee. And I know he's mentioned it in, in um, uh, interviews and stuff, but I like kind of got deeper into the process of how that came about and stuff like that. So just through knowing him, and working with him and him revealing these small things and then getting to see certain things in the trauma building, there was so many, I mean, schlock and schlockability. Like yeah. they were going to make that right after Tromeo and Juliet and it just never happened. And yeah, there, there's so much there. So thank you. That, that was a, I wanted it to be not the make your own damn movie Lloyd. I wanted it to Lloyd to be like, Oh yeah, I did do this movie called, uh, I forgot what it was called, but it's about like people killing each other over road rage. And then they start yeah. to like, yeah, it's like cool, man. It's like that's the undiscovered Lloyd Kaufman. And I think he should still res- resurrect some of those ideas. I think so too. And yeah, it are like you you got him to talk the most I ever heard him talk about um trying to come up with something with John Waters. Like yeah. it's I mean he he goes through it in his book slightly, but um yeah, he revealed uh, a little bit about the uh, Pink Flamingos and how uh, it almost happened. This Pink Flamingo sequel almost happened with Troma. So uh, final thoughts, though, on Redneck Zombies. Everybody should go check it out. If you're a fan of, uh, you know, B-movies and know what you're getting into and are down to laugh and maybe smoke a joint or take a drink or whatever when you're watching your flicks, it's a great, great uh, experience for Halloween, I would say. For yeah. the Halloween season coming up, but definitely in one of the 31 days of movie watching that you're probably doing if you're a movie fan, uh, you're gonna watch a zombie movie anyways. Yeah, it is why not? Redneck zombies, yeah, <laughs> to have a good time. Awesome. So it's Redneck Zombie Night at the drive in for you, and you have to program a double feature. What is the movie that you are programming? Oh, so. If it were, I would do it where Redneck Zombies was the second feature. Okay. Because I would want people to have drank or smoked a little bit up until that point. But the first movie I would do is Burial Ground.
It's an Italian film from the 19, I think it's 1980. 1981. Uh, 81. And this is slowly becoming my favorite zombie movie of all time. It is, honestly, I've watched it since I first saw it, maybe like 10 years ago. I've watched it at least once a year. I've introduced it to numerous people. And I've had discussions about it with numerous people. Because you are not prepared for what happens (laughs) In Burial Ground. Now, it is a straightforward zombie movie. Yeah. But it gets right to the point. I mean, the zombies come right away. There's plenty of nudity. There's plenty of gore. There's fucking... There's one of the best fire burns I've ever seen on camera. And there's multiple. It happens twice or three times with, like, that the lead... Burns in insane the burns are insane in this They're insane. The lead actress actually throws the match that lights a fire burn and she's in the frame you would never get away with that today that would be my ultimate like drive in late night like you know start with barrel ground blow people's minds and then you know they're they're all they they had a great chuckle and a great like mind-blowing experience and then you put on redneck zombies to like ease them on home man and burial ground that's like also in my top probably top you know five 10 zombie movies like it's so good so the effects are awesome and it has like a creepy kid who it's like a weird incest angle for whatever Uh, i didn't want to spoil it but uh yeah just put let's put spoil if we share this we like heavy spoilers because that's like the big thing in this movie is that that scene with the incest and what the kid does to his mother in the end and that kid (laughs) looks just like rachel dratch from saturday (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yo, a remake of Burial Ground with Rachel Dratch starring, and and so you do it really serious, except she can do whatever she wants. Like she'll look at oh. the camera with the Debbie Downer face. Oh my god, it would be a fucking a shot for shot remake like Gus Van Zamp did with Psycho, but yes. with Burial Ground and Rachel Dratch is the boy. I bet Vince Vaughn is also available. <laughs> that, oh, that would be unbelievable. <laughs> So. I I do like to look up um, to see any trauma connections. And because this was an Italian movie, there was not a lot. But I did find one trauma connection. So uh, Christian Alexander Moran, who was the post-production manager, was also the post-production manager for a re- more recent trauma pickup, uh, Plague of Zombies, Zona Mutante. And Whoa. If, if you have not seen that movie... It's also a pretty fun zombie movie. It's like made in Mexico. And I saw this back in the day when Fangoria put it out on DVD. And it's a lot of fun. I referenced it in my zombie movie because, you know, it's it was one of the first zombie movies I've ever seen where they're pulling somebody's intestines out. But, of course, the intestines are filled with poop. So... <laughs> <laughs> 
so yeah i uh it's a it's a good one so you know check that out. it's on trauma now see that's one trauma we haven't seen plague a zombie and it's yeah it's a new pickup from them it's uh it's it's just like a fun zombie movie and when i saw it there is two and i think there's three now and trauma has all three of them oh get out of um, here how yeah. new is the uh plague a zombie um, Plague of Zombie, I would say it's probably like early 2000s. Wow. I, I, I don't even remember seeing this on the shelf. So, yeah, no, it wouldn't have been, um, yeah, and Troma just got it. Fangoria uh, picked it up. They had like a distribution uh, deal like like in the late 90s, early 2000s. And this was like one of their international films they put out. But cool. Troma ended up with it. And I was super psyched because I thought this movie was just like dead and gone for when the DVD market dried up. So, and the movie I would pick for my double feature is the 1989 J.R. Bookwalter film, The Dead Next Door. The big news in Akron tonight is the unexplained appearance of grotesque, flesh-eating humans. The first thought to be the publicity of local movie love that movie too it's fun it what i i picked this one because i got the same feeling watching redneck zombies as this where it was you know it seemed like it started out with a bunch of friends instead of a vhs camera they shot on super 8 and they're just making a zombie movie and it's uh you know the government has like this elite zombie extermination squad the zombie squad and the zombies are being protected by this religious cult and the effects. What a great the, idea. A yeah. Great idea. And how timely that, uh, yeah. <laughs> that this movie is. Again. <laughs> <laughs> and the effects are cool. And the, like, 
you could tell they were just horror fans. They got like Bruce Campbell and to do a voice and they, because it's shot on super eight. So there's no sync sound. So they, they got Bruce Campbell to do a voiceover. And I think Sam Raimi even does a voiceover in it. I seem to remember. And yeah, he also put up some money that I heard. Yeah. Him and Scott Spiegel, uh, I think, and I think Scott Spiegel's actually in the movie. Yeah. He's Um, in the beginning. Yeah. So they, uh, yeah, they helped make this movie and it's just, yeah, like a good fun backyard zombie movie. And of course, like when you buy your ticket to my movie night, it's coming with, you know, like a, a free can of beer as you like go to your seat. Cause you're going to need it for the whole night. Heck but, yeah. But wait, which one would you show first? I would probably do redneck zombies first. Cause I okay. think this is better of the two, but um, just has a little more, more of an epic finale than, you know, the Red Nets. Yeah, the whole thing in the high school and, like, all those zombies running. I mean, that there's, like, a, a little more production value in, in um, the Dead Next Door. It's funny because as low budget as it seems, it seems like they either called in some favors or, yeah, Sam Raimi gave them just enough where, like, I feel like there's, like, helicopter-type shots and stuff where it's like, how did you get this? <laughs> like, yeah. I will want to make this movie (laughs) it makes it yeah it makes me feel good like thinking about um not only the time and the nostalgia of the thing but the the idea of like people coming together and really struggling to make a movie by hook or by crook yeah it just makes me feel good that they they somehow got it done and it's and the fact that it's still out there like just got like a blu-ray release not too i forget who put it out but one one I, i actually saw it recently on tubi which is becoming slowly my favorite streaming service. No offense, Shutter. Shutter's great too, but uh, Tubi <laughs> has so many like obscure. You know, they have like a, a, a shitload of Vinegar Syndrome, a shitload of Arrow Video, Severin, yeah. um, and just obscure things I'd never even thought to watch. And now, just because of those labels, I'm like looking up what's what on there. And uh, the Dead Next Door I saw on there. And so, if you want to watch it for free, check it out. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth watching. If you like redneck zombies, it's like a fun, just no budget, you know, Super 8 zombie movie. And Super 8 always will hold a place in my heart. I made a Super 8 movie that Troma put out. So I will always love love that look. And Wait, what, tr- what movie did Troma put out that you did? Um, so they put out one. It's on the Best of Troma Dance Volume 5. Uh, it's oh, called, cool. Um, actually, two Super 8 ones I did on there. Uh, one is called Unicorn, um, which is basically a ripoff of uh, Pink Flamingos about a man who finds love in a playground with a unicorn lollipop. And uh, <laughs> then we made a pseudo-sequel to that called The Misled Romance of Cannibal Girl and Incest Boy. And it's a Whoa. family film. <laughs> That's amazing. Holy shit. <laughs> so, cool. Were those features? Those are shorts. Um, and then Troma did put out my feature later on Troma now. Actually, it came out the same time uh, that they put out Plague of Zombie um, on Troma now, which I was like, yes, <laughs> we're in good company. But um, Adam, the amazing zombie killer. It's awesome. On, uh, I'll have to check this out. Yeah. And it's on Super 8 as well? That one is uh, – is, um, high def but we managed to make high def look as shitty as we can because we don't know how to use new technology (laughs) oh man (laughs) but still hey whatever (laughs) yeah but also you know in the vein of making a zombie movie just to uh you know 
by any means necessary. That's yep. that's what we did. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they and then another um, trauma trauma connection I found with the dead next door. So the director, uh, J.R. Bookwalter, he is in the upcoming VHS Massacre Two. Um, and he plays a crazed professor in Zombie Geddon. So, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, VHS Massacre Two. Uh, Tom Seymour did that, and he's done a lot of cool stuff. Uh, so they, yeah, he got uh he got J.R. Bookwalter in there. That's good. I'm, he also got Joe Bob Briggs in there too, way before Joe Bob was back in town. Yeah, it's I can't. The first VHS Massacre is fun, so I'm looking forward to when the sequel comes out. Hell yeah! Well, awesome. Um, I think it's time we start wrapping it up. Where can people follow you on all the socials? Uh, on social media, I'm, I'm mostly active on Twitter and Instagram at Bad Techno. You could also go to badtechno.com, which is my old website, but it has all the portals to all the stuff. And it has like early, it looks good. It's, it's, it's old. <laughs> it doesn't look like a new website. It looks like an old website. And that's why I leave it up there. Just because you can get right to my band camp. You can get right to my Twitter and my YouTube. And you could see all the stupid shit I used to do before trauma, trying to just be somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Lego Larry. You can follow the show on Twitter at Talk and Trauma. We're gonna leave you guys with John's song "Shark on the Dance Floor," and as always, stay traumatized. Easy, it's a victory. 
You're at home, sipping tea. My advice, stay in bed. Cause when you do, I get mad head. Think it's cruel? What I said? Your marriage is dead. I'm all shocked on the dance floor. Shocked to criminal. Building back, on your woman while you're chilling in bed. 